No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Talking Bass in PDX as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark and I'll be your host. I'd like to welcome everybody aboard as we get underway. I do have a very special guest on this episode, but before we get to that, I'd like to ask you a very important question. Are you ready for spring fishing? Well, if you have a boat, it may be time to wash the winter away. Now, before I give you any of my thoughts on this, I do want to throw out the disclaimer out there that I am not a boat repair person, and I may not have every answer for repairing or getting your boat ready, but these are just a list of suggestions that I have put together based upon some research that I did. And the first one is wash and put a good wax on your boat before you take it out this spring. Next, clean the bilge pump and bilge area out. Inspect any hoses. Inspect your plug to make sure that the uh, water plug is going to be in good condition. Also, it's a good time to clean out the live well. Now, I know that many of us clean out our live wells many times per year, but a good spring cleaning is always a good thing. And by the way, it would be time to check your live well pump and any hoses that are in that area. Also, if you do not keep your batteries charged all winter long, now's a good time to put a battery charger on them. And it's a good time to check all the water levels. Also, now's the time that you may want to have the motor serviced, oils changed, water pump, etc. If you're handy, of course, you can do it yourself. But there are many boat repair places around that will take care of that for you. Next, I would also do a safety check. Make sure that all the ropes and fenders and most importantly, life jackets are in good working order. You wouldn't want to get stopped and get a ticket just because you have an older life jacket. Next, it's time to do a safety check of the trailer. And I don't mean just walk around the trailer and take a look at it. This may be the time when you repack the wheel bearings. Of course, always check the inflation in the tires. Check the lug nuts to make sure they're tight. Now, one of the other things that you want to do also is check the tires themselves to make sure that you're not getting into a dry rot situation. There's nothing worse than a breakdown on the road. And as you're checking a trailer out, check your tie downs out and also check your winch and winch strap. There's nothing worse than having a, a winch strap break as you're trying to get the boat loaded. Now this past month or so, several clubs got together to go out to Henry Hag Lake in conjunction with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife to restock some of the fish habitat that is out at Hag Lake. This year was no exception. We've done it for several years, and we put out some habitat out in the lake. If you have good electronics, certainly you will be able to find it. But along the way, I met up with Chantille Cartier. She is a younger bass fisherman, but has quite the story. She's a native of Boise, Idaho, and actually as she was uh, growing up, she learned to fish very young, and after college, she got involved with the Wild West Tournament and was qualified to go fish a national tournament. Now, during our interview, she'll talk a little bit about that, and now she is currently living here in the Northwest and fishing some local tournaments, but she is also going to qualify for another national tournament. She's very interesting in that for a younger person, she really reads bass areas very, very well. 
So I think you'll really enjoy this particular interview. Now, before we get to the interview, I would like to talk to everyone about the podcast. If you enjoy what you're listening to, please tell your friends about the podcast and that we can be heard on Spotify along with Anchor FM, which is a very easy way to find the podcast. Now, as our expenses have gone up just a bit, I will be adding a link to the uh, show notes. And if you would like to contribute to the show, as we do not have any sponsors uh, at this time, but if you would like to contribute to the show, it'll help offset some of the travel costs and some of the equipment costs that we are getting so that we can continue to provide a great show. Now, as we get on with our interview, I'd like to welcome Chantille to the podcast. On the podcast today, I have a very special guest, Chantille Carte. Welcome aboard to Talking Bass and PDX. How are you today, Chantille? I am doing wonderful. How are you? Good, thank you. Hey, so I wanted to bring to the Northwest lots of different uh, opinions and fishing techniques. And uh, we met a few weeks ago. We were working on a project together, and I thought it would be great to get your perspective on fishing in the Northwest. So uh, I, I hope uh, we spend a little time here and, and uh, give a little information to folks here in the Northwest that are looking for fishing uh, bass and warm water fish. All righty. And when did you start fishing? At what age? Oh, boy. I've been fishing as long as I can remember. I know when I was five, my dad took my Barbie pole away and made me figure out how to fish on a normal size uh, uh, spin casting rod. So I've, uh, I've been fishing for warm water fish and trout my whole life, and I didn't start aggressively pursuing bass until around 2016. I see. So, so you've been fishing bass only a short period of time then. Well, I've, uh, I've fun fished for bass, but I haven't tournament fished until that year. Um, but I've, I've targeted smallmouth my whole life. Um, and then when I was a kid, when I got bored of that, I'd just throw out a worm and catch a trout. <laughs> there you go. I understand. So you've been doing some tournament fishing. Um, but what do you do in the off-season? Uh, in the wintertime here in the Northwest, you know, our fishing is not as um, available to us as, say, it would be in the South. Um, I am a bit of a ski bum. I usually uh, ski during the off-season. I haven't experienced the Mount Hood area as of yet, though. I've been postponing that, seeing as I just moved this fall. So I've just been doing uh, chores and renovations and labor. <laughs> but I usually use the off-season to, um, off to organize my tackle, find whatever's rusty, throw that away, put some new treble hooks on my favorite baits that I use all the time, and then what else do I do? I usually re-spool all my, my reels when it gets closer to the first tournament of the year, but I'll take my spools apart and uh, clean them out with Q-tips and real oil or gun oil, whatever, whatever kind of oil you use. And that's, uh, you know, I think that's kind of the, uh, the a lot of folks get their stuff out and uh, clean it out, and I... Um, I, I kind of uh, um, compare, especially bass fishing, I compare that to drag racing. 
because those are the two sports where um, fishing, the fish does not know who's on the other end of the line. Drag racing, the car doesn't know who's driving the car. And in the off season, mm-hmm. um, drag racing people will pull everything out of their trailer and repack it. And it seems the same way for for people who fish. They pull everything out and then put it back in, so they know exactly what they've got. So, sounds like you're sounds like you're following uh, what a lot of folks do. Um, yeah, yeah. Now yeah. also, it's kind of like fishing tradition. Yeah. Now, also, I, I know that you worked on a, a spider block project, a fish habitat project this past few weeks. Um, how Was that something that you thought that uh, would be helpful to the lake? You just wanted to do it? How, what was your motivation there? Well, I'm a bit of a hippie in that I'm about all about conservation, and um, pick, I generally pick up trash whenever I go on a walk or something like that, and I fished Henry Hat Lake, and I know the spider blocks where they are planted in the lake, that's where you catch fish in winter when it's cold because we'll go to those deep spots where that cover is, that artificial cover. And so I'm all about preserving the species. Yes, I like to eat fish, but not the big ones, obviously, because that's breeding stock. But, yeah, I, um, I'm with 503 Bassers. I'm in that club, and what is it, 2008? Or yeah, last year I, I did the spider block project, and I decided to do it again this year. I had a lot of fun with it, and I was able to come out both of the days that they had the project, building the blocks and uh, installing them in the habitat. And I just I like to to do that. And if I have free time, I try to either sign up for some volunteer work or just do something on my own. Well, you're being a bit modest about the project because uh, on the build day, you were out there working as hard as everybody else. But on the placement uh, day, which was about a week later, uh, you actually um, talked your boyfriend into bringing his boat out, and we were short of boats. So you got to get a firsthand view of where the spider blocks actually went and actually got to watch watch them being put in the water. So... um, our hats off to you because you, you really uh, helped with that project to make it a great success this year. So thank you. Oh, well, so now you know, tell thanks. Me, I appreciate oh. it. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about, um, I've been doing a little research. Tell me about the uh, when you went pro and a little bit about how that all went. Okay, so what happens? I graduated college in 2015 and of course I graduated I have my degree a BSBA in global business management from Sierra Nevada College and my parents are like what are you going to do with your life I'm like I don't know I just went to college for four years I'm going to be a ski bum and I'm going to go fishing and so (laughs) my dad took that as like okay you're going to fish tournaments I'm going to find someone to help you and he got a hold of this man named Brent Shores. He is the founder of AccuCole Culling Systems, and uh, he told me, you know, if you want to fish, go out, do one pro-am circuit or two pro-am circuits, whatever you can do, and see if it's up to you, because it's a lot of pressure, and the ultimate goal for me for fishing is to be a pro, and going in a pro-am circuit and competing as an amateur was just like, you know, dream come true, like there's camera boats and it's just all this high pressure and stress and I learned 
so quickly because I'm on the boat with these pros and I'm learning how to fish all these different bodies of water and I just loved it. And I did well enough that I was able to get enough points that I was invited to a qualifier for the Forestwood Cup, which I was I was like, oh, my goodness, what is this? This is craziness because it's only my first year. And I'm like, people got to fish for, like, 15 years before something like that happens. But it happened my first year. <laughs> wow, congrats. And so now this, this part of your fishing career, this starts off, though, was this in the Northwest or was where was this? Uh, this was in uh, California, so I did the California Pro-Am circuit, and I did the Wild West Bass Trail Pro-Am circuit. Uh, so it was like Shasta, Clear Lake, I did Mead, uh, Havasu. I didn't do Havasu that first year, I don't think. And um, just a, a bunch of the lakes on the, on the West Coast, um, not necessarily the Pacific Northwest, but I grew up in Idaho, so I fished mm-hmm. a lot of similar structure to um, the Pacific Northwest, at least for, like, for uh, smallmouth, you know. Uh, they have similar uh, patterns wherever you catch them and, and, you know, tendencies to what they like to do, which, you know, in, in the Columbia River, you're like, oh, this is what smallmouth do, but you just have to make everything a lot heavier because the current's so fast. And so you're getting your education on bass fishing, as your as as a uh, an amateur is that that what I what I understand? Yep, yep. Um, you know, boats are expensive, and fishing as a pro is really expensive. And an amateur, I think, is the best way to to get in and to really understand and get hands-on knowledge of how these tournaments are run and like what your expectations are and how you need to succeed as a co-angler which is way different than as a pro because a pro, like a co-angler, you're just trying to get your five or your three, depending if it's FLW or BASS, and you're getting your fish is dependent on where you are a lot of the time, and you're not going to catch the same fish as the pro. You're not going to get that aggressive fish. You're trying because the pro angler is going to get that aggressive fish. He's on the front of the boat. He gets the first cast, all that, that good stuff. So you're trying to figure out how can I catch – good fish behind a good angler and so it really it makes you think about what you got to do and and how you have to approach it especially from the back of the boat and a lot of the time that's just patience which is really frustrating (laughs) when especially if it's like um you're just throwing out like a, a carolina rig and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And you're like, I hope that a fish will see this sometime today because you just want to cast and cast and cast. But you're not, like, that's going to get you fish, but not not the fish that you want because the person who's actively casting is going to be your pro. They're going to be on the front of the boat. They're going to be getting those aggressive bites. So the pro, you know, they pull their boat up into where they want to be. They're casting their range as it were the front of the boat so as a co-angler you're in the back so now are you throwing after they have are casted after they have thrown into an area or you're fishing a completely different area of the water i i guess it depends um i tr- I, I don't like casting over my pro it's very disrespectful it's a big no-no as well you don't cast like you don't cast over their shoulder like if you want to choose where to fish and you want to choose, like, you got to bring your own boat. 
But I, I basically, I always watch my pro. I always keep, I, I know where he casts. Like each cast, I know where that bait lands. Because if he's casting, if we're in like a canal scenario and there's reeds and you could see little points and whatnot, you see him cast to the left, I'm going to cast to the right. I'm going to get that untouched water. If we're flipping and that's just a competition and who gets to the spot first, like I'm going to be seeing those spots he missed. And I caught my personal best, my tournament personal best, and I think my PD, uh, yeah, it was my PD largemouth, which is just over six pounds doing that in a tournament. I was watching my pro, and I saw a spot that looked like it would hold a fish. He never hit it. I threw out my bait, and I let out that line because he was moving fast, and I was going after a slower fish. I threw out a Senko. And, you know, just let my spool out as fast as I could while keeping my hand on the line trying to feel for a bite. And I felt a little bit of a snag, and I'm like, you know, either it's a reed or it's a fish. So I put my bail down, set that hook, and got myself a (laughs) six-pounder. And I was screaming pretty loud. I was like, get that net. (laughs) And he was like, how do you get that fish? I was like, I saw it. Like, you you can – you got to be very observative from the back of the boat and – you can't go in blind. You got to know. You got to pre-fish as a co-angler. So it's 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 good. Like you can stand on the the edge of the dock with forty bucks and try to bribe your way on a boat. But people are really really friendly and they're generally willing to take you out. And they're not going to take you like to where they're going to catch fish, but they're going to take you to where there's some. I so you can kind of figure out a pattern and a color. And so. Uh, in, the, in the tournaments, then, so the co-anglers are competing against co-anglers, and then the, the pros or, or boat owners, they're competing against the other pros and, and boat owners. Is that right? Yep, yep. So the, the basically the, the pros and the co's, your names go into a, you know, proverbial hat. You know, they, they do it in the computer, and they blind draw, and basically they pair you up randomly each day of the tournament. So for the first day of the tournament, you're going to get someone different on your second day. And then the third day, which I haven't done that, I haven't experienced the third day, but, you know, dreams, they'll come true. Uh, the third day, the, the, they, they do the same thing, but with only the top ten. I see. So now um, when, you, um, when you were invited to fish um, – a pro tournament you had you had qualified at the regional level. Uh, where was that pro tournament held? It was at Lake uh, North Lake in Tennessee, and it was a qualifier for the uh, Forcewood Cup. So if I had placed in that, I would have been able to compete in the Forcewood Cup. I didn't come in last, but I didn't catch any fish. Um, it was very stressful, but it was a lot of fun. And honestly, when I got this email, I was like, "This is a joke. I can't afford this at all." And then a couple weeks later, I told my dad, and he was just, like, so upset. He's like, you have to do this. And I'm like, you know, I got out of college. I got, like, you know, debt. So uh, he jumped on the phone and marketed me and talked to the owner of Canyon Marine. Um, He is amazing. It's in Nampa. uh, John at Canyon Marine in Nampa, Idaho, he sponsored me a boat. And um, I sold him the boat back when I finished the tournament because I couldn't afford to buy the boat. Um, but he got me a boat for the tournament. I was able to get a wrap on it because the tournament director's like, you need a wrap. Well, you don't. You need a wrap for the Forestwood Cup, but not for a qualifier for it. But I had a wrap. It had my name on it. I felt felt awesome. It was amazing. 
And I've just been chasing that dream ever since. You know, I got I got the truck that I'm paying off, and then I'm gonna go in and get the boat after that. Wow, that'll be that'll be exciting once you get that boat. Now, now you've continued uh, to compete, and as you said, you're uh, uh, part of Five Hundred Three Bassers Club. Now, you're also uh, affiliated with another club. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, uh, Cowboy Bass in Wyoming. Actually, um, they uh, they are a BASS uh, affiliated tournament, and I compete there. I drive out to Idaho for their uh, qualifier for regionals, and I compete in that. Uh, they hold their tournament for the qualifiers in Idaho, which is to my advantage because um, I've fished a lot of Idaho fish. And, um, you know, you, you kind of get you kind of get a hang for it after a while, or at least for smallmouth. I'm a lot more confident. Confidence really is a key factor in, in tournaments and in pre-fishing. Like, I'm confident catching smallmouth and trying to figure out what they're doing. I'm less so with largemouth. I love largemouth, but I'm just not as good at figuring them out, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. And there, there is a different technique. You know, if, you watch, uh, if you watch the difference, there, there is a, a technique difference. Um, and so now you have qualified for, uh, for 2020. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I will be competing at Lake Mead at, just outside of Vegas with the ASS for the regionals with Cowboy Bass representing Wyoming. I'm pretty, I'm very excited for that. I, I uh, did the I did the regionals last year uh, with the ASS and I did not do well, unfortunately. Was, me and Spotted Bass don't get along very well. <laughs> it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. And um, they can't. But it was fun because no matter how frustrating it gets, like I can always look back and I, I learn something, and 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 it's good because it gives you just one one more key to the puzzle. Because each of body of the wa- each body of water is different, even if it has the same species and different ways to fish and and, and that, find those fish. And that takes me right into the next question. You kind of led me right into it. Uh, fishing technique. Now, um, you can't use the same technique for each water, but tell me a little bit about the techniques that you like and the ones that you, uh, kind of your go-to techniques. Drop shot's king. I love drop shot. It is the old reliable. And people hate drop shot, but the thing is, like, I I can use it to to catch fish. It's just I'm really comfortable with it. Especially because uh, you can, like, it's not common, but you can, like, flip drop shot into reeds if you're accurate enough or, like, next to structure, and you can just kind of let the line out, and you know that you're still going to have a good presentation in front of that fish, and it's a really good search technique. And I also like tubes and Ned Rigs. Ned Rigs and tubes, pretty much a very similar thing. Um, Tubes, I love in um, more of like a desert area, um, like you would see at CJ Strike in Idaho or, um, you know, like long sandy points uh, in the Columbia that in, I, would work a, I would work a tube down the front of a point or up the, off, the, off the point into a current or a shelf and a drop because tubes just have a really good presentation for a craw and you can just bounce them around very accurately 
Uh, same thing with Ned Rigs. Ned Rigs have a little more of an open hook, so it's a little harder when you're fishing around rock. But, um, yeah, it's just some, some good things to, to do. And what else do I like? I like I like blades. I like blades. <laughs> those are those are really fun to use when you're searching um, searching for bites like in spring, you know, when they're gearing up for spawn and they're aggressive and they're chasing chasing around looking for food. I, I like to use those probably because they're shiny and flashy, but they're effective as well. Well, my comment on, on drop shotting would be, I think it's um, interesting up here in the Northwest and, and probably in Idaho too, but because of the water temperatures that we experience both early in the year and late in the fall, uh, I find that drop shotting is a go-to for me a lot because of the, the speed at which we have to fish, which is slow. And as you were mm-hmm. saying earlier, uh, you because you're on the back of the boat, you're fishing slower than someone on the yes. front of the boat because because you don't have the advantage they do. So I, I would think that that's um, a very good technique to go to. Um, now yes. You mentioned Ned Rig, and, and Ned Rig uh, is, is a fairly old technique, but you, you've, uh, you've liked it, and it's, it's one that you trust well? Yes, yes. I, I like the Ned Rig. Um, just because, like, once you once you get it figured out, like, it is, it's really, it's a good bait for, for I don't know, a shy biting fish, I guess. When they just kind of sit there and they'll pick it up and spit it out and pick it up and spit it out. Uh, or just, like, nibble on the tail and you just, like, wait and you wait. And then once you feel the load up on that bait, then you can get a good hook set with those. Um, my biggest upset with, the, with them is because I always buy the short shank. Ned rig heads, so I have a plethora of those and not the long shank ones. I hate the short ones. And then I'm in the store and I'm like, why did I buy these? And um, I, I try to get the ones with the longest shank on them that I can find because you want to be able to get into the fish's get, get in the fish's mouth. Uh, okay, so long, so making sure yeah. that the fish take the bait and letting them let them take it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yes, and that's having the patience for it. Right, and now you also talked a little bit earlier, and, and we kind of gla- we kind of went over this briefly, but reading the water. Now, as a as a co-angler or someone in the back of the boat, how much do you get to read the water, and and how did you learn the technique that you're using? So, I learned to read the water basically just being a shore angler as a kid, like we go camping or whatever, and my dad's like, you know, I'm going to go take a nap. Just do whatever. Go whatever. And there's these little creeks up around northern Idaho that just zigzag, and you have itty-bitty little brook trout, itty-bitty bull trout and cutthroat. And if they see a shadow, they're gone. Well, I didn't know how to fly fish, so I learned how to, with a, with a, I didn't learn bait casting that young, but with, with my spin rod, I would just undo the bale and just start flipping around bushes and into shadow and target trout that way. And so I already had the techniques that you use to target bass, but I just didn't realize that I, what I had learned when I was trying to target trout that was just sneaky and hiding in coves, around current, behind rocks. 
And so, like, those techniques really did just pay off for me when targeting smallmouth bass because, I mean, that's what they do. Smallmouth bass like to hang out where prey's going to come to them. They'll sit in an eddy, wait for prey to come out the current naturally, you know, minnows, you know, whatever comes floating down the river, and they'll just swoop into the current and eat it and go back and sit and be lazy. And um, it just wears... It, it just pays off. As for reading the water, it's it's a really important skill as a co-angler because you don't know where you're going to be fishing. So you want to focus on, like, if you're fishing deep, there's not really much you can do about reading the water. But if you have a guy who's running and gunning, then you look for structure, natural points. Don't just cast and cast and cast. Look ahead of the boat. Look where he's casting. And once you see a spot he misses, that's where you throw your bait that you're confident. If there's a fish there, they're going to bite it. Let's say it's a drop shot. You throw your drop shot out because you saw an underwater point just a little bit different. You're looking for differences in structure. That's what fish like. They like something different. You see a flat bank with one big rock, throw by the big rock. There's probably a fish there. If there is a fish there, that's your best shot. Don't just fan cast looking for fish. Um... Now, if you're on a flat and your guy is targeting bed fish, obviously that's when you want to fan cast. That's when you put out like a rattle trap and and you are aggressively fishing whatever water you can reach because you're fishing the same water. That's when you throw something noisy because you're trying to attract something to you. And uh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. I had <clears throat> now I have not tournament fished. I I bass fish a lot. Uh, but I, I have not. So this is all uh, very interesting. Now, one of the questions that I wanted to ask because I, uh, I just found it interesting, you don't, I don't think you see too many females on the pro tour, but um, uh, how do the pros treat you? Oh, wonderful. Everybody's just so nice. Like, there's always going to be the bad apple. There's always going to be that one person who tries to ruin your day. But the way I saw it, especially when I first started this, like, I was much younger, and it's just like, you know, I'm a girl, I'm new at this, I'm good at this, and if that's why somebody's mean to me is because they're like, oh, this girl's, like, getting everything paid for it. I didn't. I put it all on credit cards, and I paid it off last year. Because <laughs> um, I just had so, I, I didn't know how it worked, and I was like, oh, I'll pay it off. And then I was like, oh, wait, money, I need to make that. Uh <laughs> But, you know, everyone's very nice. They're not going to – a lot of people, if they see you struggling, they'll they'll ask you what you're doing, and they'll kind of push you one way or another. And my first year, I had uh, someone just give me a, a big bag of old, ugly baits because I didn't have old, ugly, and all the stores were sold out, and that's what the fish were biting on. And it was just – it's just a friendly atmosphere. And I think it it is so because I'm a girl – and and so it's like people are extra nice to me because they, they don't want to scare me away or something. But I'm like, eh, you know, this is – I'm not very athletic or good at sports. So the one thing I am good at is, is fishing. So it, it's not really as – like it's an exclusive thing. Yeah, and, and when you say you're not very good at, uh, you know, at fishing, now you have won a tournament uh, here locally, correct? Uh, was it – was that last year or year before that you won a uh, a tournament uh, with 503 Bassers? Oh, yeah. I think that was me and Tom Hartshore. We won on the Columbia. 
And yeah, I mean that was a nice, a nice, fun club tournament um, targeting smallmouth. And I learned a lot about the Columbia that day. And um, yes, I, I just basically like I, I hadn't really figured out what to throw. I was throwing, I think, um, watermelon, and I needed green pumpkin, and all I had was watermelon. And uh, Tom threw me a couple baits, and he's like, throw these. And that's when I just started, you know, going back on my heels and just kind of following my instincts, like, all right, so look for something that looks like it's going to hold a fish. And that's where I just started looking at uh, differences in rock structure or, you know, any kind of lay down, like, hey, there's this itty-bitty tree that fell down and it's on this flat bank, you know, fish around that, see if there's a fish. And I always, like, when I am approaching structure or something, I always try to do that very long cast first in case it's a, 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 a skittish fish, I guess. And I try to get that long cast out and just work the bait around the structure and then work myself in. That's if I can go in at my own pace. But obviously on the in a tournament structure, if it's not team on the back of the boat, you kind of have to to work around what your your boater's doing. But thankfully for that tournament, Tom was just very helpful. He he was really friendly. He gave me um, a couple baits to use that were effective, and I have those in. And he makes his own um, his own jig heads, which are wonderful because you have to throw very heavy. And that was one of the issues I was running into is I didn't have heavy enough jig heads to get to my baits down to the bottom of that current. And um, he, and I've, it's not just him who has done that. Like I've had many boaters do that with me where I run out of something or, or um, I have something that, or they have something that's working better than what I have and they'll, they'll give it to me to use or give me one or two and help me out. And it's just, you know, I'm, I'm always very grateful for it, and it, it just helps out a lot, especially when Tom and I were fishing, and I was able to actually get a couple fish in the boat to help us win. That was nice. Well, that's, uh, you know, that's always that's always the thing I, I find about the fishing community is even in a competitive um, situation like that, somebody's there to help you, and that's, uh, that's really neat. You know, one of the things that I always like to ask, this is kind of the funny question of the interview, but what is the most surprising thing that you ever caught? A sturgeon on um, I, in a tournament on the Columbia. I hooked, like, I think a two-and-a-half, almost three-foot sturgeon on um, a little rattle trap. And I hooked it in the back of the fin, and I wasn't going to lose that rattle trap because it was a more expensive one. And I told myself, like, I'm going to buy this for myself for my birthday and see if it works better than my other brands. And I'm still, unfortunately, buying this $30 rattle trap because I have a better hookup ratio because it's louder than all the other brands that I found. It's just got so you got you you were able to bring the sturgeon up to the boat. Oh yeah, like uh, I mean, we were catching that many fish, and I, it was my only one. I lost one earlier that day. It was my last bait, and it was, and you know, I was throwing a rattle trap. My boater, like because I had such a good bite ratio throwing it, my boater picked up a trap, but he didn't have the same kind as me. He had a similar color pattern, and so I was going to get that back. So I just, you know, played it until it was tired. I didn't stress it. I let it. I loosened up my drag, and it was just a baby, you know. So. You can catch really big fish on really light line. You just can't force it. 
and and like that's the the trick to it sometimes when you when you do catch those big fish you can't force them in but you can't let them like run away and and run out of line so i was able to get the fish up and i got my 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 trap back and retied and kept on going and then i lost it later wow that okay <laughs> I, I cast it off later that day. I was like, no, very dramatic. I'm very dramatic when I'm fishing sometimes. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, uh, I have not seen you fish. I have seen you out working but not fishing. I, I can't wait to see, uh, see you out on the river fishing. And, uh, and I know we've talked about uh, fishing on the uh, middle part of the Willamette above um, the falls. Uh, so hopefully we'll get, to, we'll get that trip in this year. I, We'll show you some show you yeah. some other smallmouth spots up there. Um, and in um, now, are you planning to go back out on the pro trail at some point? Oh, you know, eventually that is the goal. Like that, that's my goal. Um, when I first started this, I had a full time job at a coffee shop, and then I became my part time job at a coffee shop, part time job at a restaurant, trying to fish. And then it was like, you know, I need to, to get a job where I can make money. And so I have the position I have now, which is in sales at General Pacific. And, you know, it pays the bills. It's just a regular 9 to 5, so I don't have the ability to go fishing competitively on a pro circuit. Uh, so I'm just kind of biding time at this point until I can get the stuff that I need to do to go fishing and reach out and find a better supporting job. Because right now I'm 26, and my res like a lot of millennials, like a lot of them have business degrees, and we all have the same resume basically. So now I just got to build up job experience so I can be like, hey, you know, hire me, and I have a boat and I have a truck, and I need you know six weeks off a year <laughs> so I can go fishing. Right, but and you know, I have I have to admit though, you know, these are lofty goals, and you. Your age group is the next generation of, of pro fisher, fishermen that are out there. And, uh, you know, I hope you're successful at it because, uh, I mean, I, I watch the TV shows. I see these guys. They're aging. You know, they're, they're not getting younger. So yeah, I certainly hope that you're yeah. able to make that goal. It's just, you know, yeah. it's just the taking a step back and looking at it from a practical sense. Like I, I have to approach this so that when I do go pro again, like I can just keep doing it, you know. If and I've been think like racking my brain about a product I can come with or something I can do to develop my own kind of my own thing. Like I I mentioned earlier, Acucol culling systems. Like Brent, he has his own business and that's how he pays for his fishing and supports his pro career. And so if I can think of an idea where I can market that, like I know how to go about it, but I have to you know be an entrepreneur self-supportive kind of position or work for a fishing company <laughs> sure sure well um we've been uh, we've been talking for about a half an hour so what would you say to, as we're wrapping this up what would you say to uh younger folks that want to get into tournament fishing and possibly go pro what would you what would you tell them do it. Do it. Um, clubs are 100% different than a pro-am. Clubs are 100% different than a pro-am. Uh, when you do go, compete as a, as a co-angler, 
And don't compete until you can fish at least half of the tournaments in that circuit. And that, because it's points that you need. You need points for your career. That's how you move forward. That's how you qualify. And it shows a resume to, to, to everyone else. Like when you look up and Google your name, you're like, oh, they have this many career points for, for that. And you get those points from participating. And even if you blank, you can still come out at the end of the year as a, as a, in a good position because you have competed at all those tournaments. And that, that's my suggestion. And don't, don't use credit cards. Don't, don't pull a teal. Don't use, <laughs> don't use credit cards for it. And, and you just got to self, self-promote, and you have to just get out there and keep going fishing. Yes. So those are, those are some, great, that's some great advice. And, you know, marketing yourself, you know, I know that's um, something that you know, everybody has to do, and I'm sure that's part of the job. And um, uh, so that will, be, uh, that will be lessons well learned. Well, Chantil, I'd like to thank you for stopping by, and, uh, and we'll see you out on the, on the river one of these days. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This was a blast. I, I'm trying to rock my brain about more things that you could use, but, you know, on the Columbia River, throw a blade, silver or gold, gold if it's dirty, use white and start chartreuse, and you'll, you'll have a good time. You'll catch a million little fish, and every once in a while you'll get yourself a big one. Well, that's great. Hey, and thanks for being on today. Thank you. Thanks, Don. Well, I'd like to thank Chantille for stopping by the Talking Bass and PDX podcast today. And again, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please tell your friends about the podcast and that we can be found on Spotify. Once again, I will put the show link on there that uh, would allow you to make a donation to the podcast to help us out with some of the expenses. And if you have any show ideas or would like to provide some feedback for the show, please email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. That can also be found in the show notes. Well, that'll take care of this show for this, uh, this week, and I'd like to thank everyone again. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the backcast. Mm-hmm.